You're listening to Just One of the Guys, the podcast that always aims to please, even though my aim is incredibly, incredibly bad. Well, I was born too late to be a rolling stone. I don't know Jeremy. I never met Johnny Noble standing with a strat. I'm rocking those bastard sun. Go out there, drunk, get wild, have fun. I don't got a million dollars. Don't drive a Cadillac. Give me out a chance, cause I'm not dead yet. Hello and welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by me, Sean Ingle. It is my sole mission in life, well, not really sole mission in life, but what I'm going to be doing with this podcast is I'm going to be covering the Green Lantern comic books from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004. Along the way, I'm going to start covering the Guy Gardner solo series, and when we get to issue 50 and 51, I'm going to start putting a special emphasis on the character of Kyle Rayner. If you guys have been listening over the past few episodes, I appreciate it. You probably got the idea of what I'm going to be doing with the podcast, and I hope you've been enjoying what I've been doing. I'm getting some excellent feedback, email-wise and on other podcasts about the show, and I really, really appreciate it. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope to keep your interest throughout the rest of the show, and uh, I hope that I can kind of do what I set out to do with this podcast and show that the 90s comics, for the most part, didn't have to be grim and gritty. There could be a lot of fun in them, and as far as I remember and as far as I'm experiencing with the comics now, these comics are a heck of a lot of fun. I'd like to thank Mr. Stephen Rogers for writing in to the show's email address at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. He wrote in an email asking me if I ever watched the NPC sitcom Scrubs, and he gave me a link to this awesome YouTube video for a song that Zach Branth, I think that's his name, Zach Bramp and uh, Donald Faison do on the show called Guy Love. It is damn hilarious. I'm going to put a post up at the website, which is justoneoftheguys.libson.com, so you guys can check it out. And I'll probably also put that in some of the opening music in an upcoming show. So, other than that, not much email, not much preamble to go through. I will give you a little personal information, not that really care, but a little personal information on what's going on in my life. Uh, as of this recording, uh, my wife and I have put in a bid for a new house, so we are in the process of moving, so my schedule is going to get a little bit more hectic over the next few weeks and months and whatever. So, hopefully I'll be able to keep up schedule. I mean, these shows aren't that difficult to record and edit and everything, so... Hopefully I'll keep the schedules out on a weekly basis and keep giving you more Green Lantern-y, Guy Gardner-y goodness. If Guy Gardner-y is actually a word. But with that out of the way, let's get a few promos for some other podcasts that you should be listening to in. And then we'll get back to the review, or we'll get started with the review, of Green Lantern number 7. Take care. Attention, people of Earth, do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Directive.
Hey you! Yes you! Hearing this message. Do you like podcasts? Well evidently you do because you're listening to one right now. Do you like giant monsters? Of course you do! Who doesn't like giant monsters? Well then have I got the show for you. Earth Destruction Directive is the newest Daikaiju podcast on the internet. And we talk about all your old favorites like Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah, and Gamera. But also lesser known monsters like Gappa, Yangari, and Giawa. We cover everything from movies to comic books to video games. And we're kicking it old school. This is breaking news. We are receiving word that Earth Destruction Directive is now a part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. Listeners are advised to stay in their homes and listen to all of the fine quality podcasts on the Two True Freaks Podcast Network, available at twotruefreaks.libton.com. We now return you to your regularly scheduled broadcast. Wait a minute. Is this true? Earth Destruction Directive is now on the Two True Freaks Network? You bet your oxygen destroyer it is. So if you love atomic-powered, fire-breathing, hardcore, giant monster action, then head on over to twotruefreaks.libson.com and check out Earth Destruction Directive. We're turning all of your daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. The Hulk on Podcasts. Hulk like podcasts. Hulk listen to podcasts while Hulk smash. The Hulk on Peter David. Hulk like to read Peter David comics. Hulk have problem making words. Hulk write down. Peter David wrote a seminal run on the Incredible Hulk for 12 years. Some of the most provocative, compelling stories came from this era, filled with striking psychological overtones bold character developments, and sharp humor. Along with artists like Todd McFarlane, Dale Keown, and Gary Frank, Peter David took the Incredible Hulk and the comic book medium as a whole to new heights. The Hulk on Peter David Podcasts. Uh, Hulk not find Peter David Podcasts. Hulk get mad. Hulk smash! Hey folks, in order to appease the Rampaging Hulk, there is an Incredible Hulk podcast devoted to Peter David. Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, looks at the entire Peter David run on the Hulk, issue by issue in a bi-weekly format. Join me, J. David Weeder, on a journey through the saga of old J. Jaws at www.incrediblehulksmash.com. Incredible Hulk and all related characters copyright Marvel Comics. Pad Smash is not responsible for gamma radiation sickness, smashed MP3 players, overturned vehicles, tanks thrown through the ceiling, injured supervillains on the lawn, gamma bomb detonations, property damage from debris, deep-rooted psychological damages as a result of intense child abuse resulting in an alternate self-destructive personality with the strength of an atom bomb, or anal leakage. Dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too 
We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us. I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now. Mankind shall feel that's might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the pawns in the hands of Dr. Doom. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You earthlings can't change the way I can. But we are the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you. For I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord. Until the Fantastic Four is no more, and the Phantom is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatons, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak, blind or hulk. Stop! You must not end on the task of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain the drain of all elemental life. So speak. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witness the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. ffcast.libsyn.com Lancers, I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger. An enemy we don't yet fully understand. We were created, but I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are. Chosen by the Mystic Guardians of the Universe. Recruited from across the galaxy for their bravery and courage. The best and brightest join to fulfill a solemn oath. In brightest day. In blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's Light. Green Lantern's Light, a monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Guy Gardner, and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today. Say the oath. Join the Corps. Green Lantern's Light. Available monthly at GreenLanternsLight.com. And we're back. Again, I humbly ask that you go check out some of these podcasts. They're all really good. They're all by people that I 
on the internet consider my friends, and they're all well worth your time if you're a comic book fan at all. But with that out of the way, let's get started with our review of Green Lantern number 7. Green Lantern number 7 has a cover date of December 1990. The cover price was $1 US, $1.25 Canada, and 50 pence UK. The title of the story was Homecoming. The writer was Gerard Jones, penciler was Pat Broderick, inker was Bruce Patterson, letter was Albert de Guzman, colorist Anthony Tolan, assistant editor Kevin Dooley, and editor Andy Helfer. Same guys as last time, and again, it's getting to be pretty commonplace, but things will shake up here in an issue or so. The story opens with our three Green Lanterns, Hal, John, and Guy, being held like puppets by the immense floaty head and hands of the old-timer. Hal chides himself for flying into the central battery, but he hopes that what he actually planned will pay off. As the now massive old-timer flies over the planet of his creation, he stops to probe Hal's mind, trying to determine just what he was hiding from him. Hal blanks his mind as the giant guardian stops over the towering spires of the transplanted city from Sudar. Hal pleads for the guardian to spare the aliens, but the old-timer says he must teach a lesson to those who are willing to fight against him, and with a wave of his hand, the old-timer unleashes an army of faithful aliens, including the Shugs and the Bat Creatures, on the horrified denizens of the Zudarian city. The Shugs blast away at the panicked Zudarians until they reach the wall that separates their city from Rose's farm. With a tremendous explosion, the Shugs break through the wall and start heading for the defenseless Rose and her son Toby. The Guardian gloats at how he will either destroy or enchant all the beings on his newly created world, while a desperate Howl pleads for the old-timer to stop his lust for power. But the Guardian will have hear nothing of it. In fact, he will consume all the power he needs, including the power of Howl's will, anger, and hunger for redemption. But just as the Mad Guardian is about to devour Howl, a voice calls his true name. The old-timer looks up in disbelief, letting go of Howl, Guy, and John. Howl looks pleased because his message got through to its intended recipients, the 22 remaining Guardians of the Universe. Wondering how the Guardians could have known about what he was doing, Api Ali Apsa turns and realizes that Hal's trip into the central battery wasn't to seek power, but to send a message through the vacationing Guardians. Hal was hoping that their time making the cosmic beast with two backs with the Zamrons was over, and that they would return to deal with one of their own. Seeing the 22 Guardians should have the situation well under control, Hal rushes off to do some Green Lantern-y stuff. Cut to the farmhouse, where a rampaging Shug is crashing through the wall, its eyes fixed upon young Toby. But Rose isn't going down without a fight, as she slams open a door with her shotgun in hand all Sigourney Weaver from Alien style. She unloads into the advancing creature, plugging round after round into its body with very little effect. The Shug swats away the shotgun and is about to do the same to Rose and Toby when a giant eagle construct, think Return of the King, but green, swoops in to rescue the pair. Having his possible nookie partner out of danger, Hal, Guy, and John team up to take out the rest of the Mad Guardian's army. Meanwhile, the returned Guardians form a ring around Appa Ali Apsa, preparing him for judgment. The old-timer pleased with the Guardians, claiming that his time spent alone away from the link that he had with them as clouded his actions. The Guardians are pleased that Appa might still be reasonable, 
but a close-up of the old-timer's eyes shows something entirely different. While the trial of the old-timer is going on, Guy makes a direct strike on the attacking army, only to get knocked back on his ass. Hal grabs him, and the trio harmonize the rings to the same wavelength. With the three lanterns working in unison, they create a number of constructs to stop the oncoming horde. Back at the trial, the old-timer stands atop the broken central battery, surrounded by his 22 brethren. As the Guardians question Appa's actions, the old-timer stands silently, until he reaches out with his mind to Jon Stewart. Jon's eyes go all flashy as the Lanterns are doing well with mopping up their would-be attackers. Just as Hal and Guy are about to dig a giant trench between them with a shovel construct, the power goes out on the rings. Confused as to just what happened, Hal asks if John's ring has gone out as well. Unfortunately, John can't answer that as he's flying off to parts unknown, leaving Hal and Guy powerless before a wall of angry lava monsters. Back at the trial, the Guardians chide Appa for not t- taking the proceedings seriously. Little do they know that this reason for smiling is that John Stewart is headed off to help the old-timer with the full power of his controlled will. Cut back to Hal and Guy, still wondering what they can do against an onslaught without any power rings. As Guy begins to express doubt in Hal's plan, he is relieved to see a guardian come floating down between the lanterns and the wall of the attackers. But Hal quickly informs Guy that everything might not be alright, as more guardians begin floating down from the sky. As the view pans up, we see the giant green hand of the old-timer, spilling out the bodies of the energy-drained guardians. He stands triumphantly, looking over his creation as he proclaims that he is the one living power battery, the master of the green, the last true guardian. I know I keep saying it, but again and again, these comics just keep building on each other to a to what I guess right now is the penultimate issue of this uh, series. The guardians coming back, the lanterns fighting an awesome battle against this army of aliens that are just going to wipe them out. It is just epic comic book tale, and it's all being set up really well. This is something that, you know, would be a company-wide crossover now at DC, but it's compacted in this one little story, and it's really just uh, there there aren't words to say how much I am enjoying this. And again, I hope I'm passing this on to you. This comic is great from beginning to end. But <clears throat> with all that gushing out of the way, let's get on with some actual notes of you know reason and thought. Uh, we'll start with the cover, a really dynamic cover with the, in the background, the Guardians coming back. They seem to be coming back out of... Uh, one of Shazam's lightning bolts, which is kind of cool, I guess. And we've got the three Green Lanterns power beaming the Mad Guardian on the ground, and the Guardian sitting there in pain, going, "It's not over yet." And also, you know, I I've noticed this on a lot of the covers. A lot of the background cities on Oa seem to be a bright yellow, which would be kind of detrimental to most of the Green Lanterns as. Yeah, at this time, yellow seems not work on their rings, so wouldn't basically them touching the soil pretty much negate anything their rings were doing? So, eh, minor nitpick, 
could be a, just a coloring error as well, so we'll let it go. Page one, we get a really dynamic shot of the floaty head and floaty hands of the Guardians holding up all the Green Lanterns in their sort of crucifixion-like poses. I mean, it's not typical crucifixions there. It's more of the uh, look of the Vitruvian Man, the uh, sort of symbol that you'd see on... Uh, on the Voyager placard of how humans look like with their hands facing forward and their feet together. But he's got them holding up on his fingers like little puppets. It's a really nice shot of showing how much power the Mad Guardian has and how he's con- how he's basically controlling all the people of the planet of Oa, as well as now all three of the remaining Green Lanterns. Page 3, panel 2, we get another shot of the Zidarian city. And it's really kind of, as I've said before, the city is really kind of dynamic and alien-looking. But here, it's got a lot of those spires that look like the cover to the uh, Walt Disney version of The Little Mermaid. In fact, it's got the one, quote-unquote, hidden spire, which is supposed to look kind of phallic. And on page 3, the inset panel 2, it looks like the... uh, Mad Guardian is knocking down that phallic-looking tower, so take that for what you will. Innuendo, anyone? Who knows? Page 4, we get a really nice depiction of what these hordes of aliens are doing to the denizens of the transplanted cities. We get the giant rock monster shugs, you know, threatening the Zudarians, and in the bottom panel, panel 3, we see them just firing on these masses of them as they're lined up against the wall. It's it's a really horrific image, but it's shot from an overhead, or it's depicted from an overhead shot, so you're not seeing bodies explode or being ripped apart, but you can tell that there is just massive loss of life, and there's a lot of threat going on in this. And this is a nice parallel to today's comics. And today's comics, you would see, you know, bodies strewn all over the place and limbs being blown off and this is kind of depicted from a long way away but the the images are the same and the ideas are the same and it's just not as gory i tend to like it this way a lot better page six panel one as uh the old timer is quote-unquote enthralling some of the denizens of the transplanted worlds we see that some of the denizens are big batman fans as one of the local yokels has a uh bright yellow Batman symbol on his shirt. So I guess at this time, the Batman isn't considered to be a, what, an urban legend. So he's still real. That's cool. Same page, panel six. We get a kind of horrific scene of the Mad Guardian actually planning on eating Hal Jordan. It's not he's going to take his energy He's going to pop Al Jordan in his mouth and eat him up. Nom, 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 nom. So that's creepy as all get out. Page 7, panel 1. We get the first mention, at least in this comics run, of the Guardian's real name. Now, I'm not certain if this is the actual first mention of the name or if the Guardians were given names in earlier issues of Green Lantern. My research said that this might be the first time we actually get a real Guardian's name, but it is a completely alien name and really hard to pronounce, you know, saying it on a podcast, Appa Ali Apsa, it's just kind of weird, doesn't really roll off the tongue. Page 8, we get a really awesome splash page of all the Guardians coming back, 
and boy are they pissed. They are going to pretty much lay the smack down on the old timer and he's going to get what's coming to him. The only weird thing is they mentioned that there are 22 remaining guardians, not including the 20, not including the old timer, which I guess would make 23. But on a lot of these panels, you can only see 21 of them. So it seems that their numbers tend to increase and decrease by one, you know, depending upon, you know, what panel it's on. Page 9, panel 1, the inset panel, we get a nice look of the old-timer just giving that sort of over-the-shoulder glance of like, what the what? And uh, next panel, we get Hal sort of smugly looking on, saying, yeah, I'm the man, and then we get Guy Gardner in the background going, yeah, sure, whatever. I could have done the same thing. Big show-off. Douche. But rightfully so, Hal was pretty clever in this, and contacting the Guardians was a really clever idea. Page 10, panel 2. Hey, Rose had a shotgun handy. Wow, who would have thought a widow mom on a farm in the middle of West Virginia would have a shotgun just right near the bedside? Who knew? But in these panels, Rose does do an awesome job of trying to defend herself against these giant alien rock monsters that are coming after her, the Shugs. And it does have a lot of parallels to Aliens with Sigourney Weaver, you know, just... It's really kind of got that... Get away from her, you bitch! ...type feel to it, and I really, really like that. Page 11, panel 4. I hope Toby has some really good upper body strength, because he's holding on to his mom's legs as the, you know, Return of the King ring construct eagle, you know, pries them out of their house, so... Unless the eagle decides to grab Toby too, Toby'd better hold on for dear life. Page 12, we the beginning of the trial of the old-timer as the guardians sort of surround him and start asking questions. And, of course, the old-timer is going, No, I didn't know what I was doing. I was left alone. I was so alone. And the the scene keeps closing in on him, getting closer and closer until it you get this image on... Uh, page 12, panel 6, just close up of the old-timer's eye, and you realize that all of his, you know, whining and of all of his pleading for mercy is basically just a ruse, and he's got something up his sleeve. Page 13, panel 1, we get the obligatory shot of Guy being the ridiculous over-the-top hothead as he just charges headfirst into the army of Shugs, and tries to do a sort of, you know, Superman-type, you know, fist-first blast at them and gets knocked back into the sky for his troubles. Oh, Guy, we love your hot-headedness. Page 14. Now, as much as I gave old Clay guff for his whole Zen stuff, it is kind of neat that some of that may have worn off on the Howl, and he tries to get John and Guy to harmonize the rings to work together as a group to defeat this oncoming horde. Really kind of interesting, but using giant teeter-totters to uh, work against their momentum, not the best kind of construct I think they could have come up with, but it is what it is. However, we get to page 15, panel 2, and they've decided to change from giant teeter-totters, which is fl- which have flipped a bunch of the aliens up in the air, to giant tennis rackets to basically smack them into orbit. That, I think, is a bit cooler. 
page 16, panel 1, we get the shot of the Guardian surrounding the old-timer standing on top of the broken central battery. And this time, if you count them, there are 22 of them. So I guess one of them was maybe off doing a little bathroom break. I mean, or maybe he was just cleaning up. I mean, they were having constant cosmic sex with the Zamrons. You know, you might have to go freshen up a bit, and maybe he just had to do a bit of that. Page 17, panels 1 and 2. Hal finally pays Guy a compliment. He goes, beautiful, sir, of Guy. Just be beautiful. And Guy replies, so what's that about being a brain-damaged thug? And Hal replies back, you are a brain-damaged thug, Gardner. But by God, you're our brain-damaged thug. And even though I kind of disagree with the brain-damaged thing, well, I don't disagree with it. I guess, yes, technically Guy did have brain damage. I'm glad that Hal and Guy are actually getting along. Again, I go back to Jones knows how to write these characters and give them disparate personalities and give them conflict, but allow them to come together in times of crisis like this. Also on page 17, panel 4, we get perhaps the dirtiest panel in the book, perhaps the dirtiest panel in the comic so far. We get what looks like Hal's fist you know, rising towards the air, and the construct is sort of a green, splotchy-looking thing, and the word, or the onomatopoeia for the uh, panel is splop. So it kind of looks like Hal just used his fist to create a giant money shot. Yeah, I'm afraid this podcast probably won't get the clean tag this time, so there you go. Page 19, panel 4, we get a really dynamic shot of John coming at the uh, Guardians with just the crackling green flame just all around his body and him shooting eye beams of green power. It's just a really dynamic shot that shows John using the emerald power of will, not focusing it through through his ring, but focusing it through his entire body. He was just completely enveloped in the green energy. And finally, on page 22, the final splash page, the giant construct, or I guess what actually is the old-timer, is he's absorbed all the green power of Oa, as he stands triumphantly with his hand raised up to the sky, shouting the fact that he is the last true guardian. It's a truly awesome panel, and it basically sets up that everyone is now completely boned. It's a really great cliffhanger ending to what's been a really great series of issues. All in all, this book was really good. It had a lot of these, quote, things just got worse moments and you know things just keep building and building on it you know you think things couldn't get worse and they do and this book is really good at building up on stuff like that so with the review out of the way let's take a look at some of the interesting and by interesting i mean completely random advertisements that they've decided to put in this month's issue of the comic course on the front cover we get another ad for target renegade with the beefy mulleted nipple bearing guy doing the flying kick through the board that says target renegade on it 
So, nothing new there. Sadly, another advertisement for the TSR dungeon game with the prerequisite nerdy guys in sweaters and glasses looking on around the board while a giant red dragon menacingly hovers behind them. Neat. We get a house subscription ad claiming ho ho ho, ho no, and you can subscribe to the myriad uh, DC comics that they are publishing, including Action Comics, Flash, Green Lantern, Superboy, Legion, Star Trek, Star Trek Next Generation, and then uh, I didn't remember some of these, some of the uh, Advanced Dungeon Dragons, Dragonlance, and Forgotten Realms uh, comics. You know, I'm certain there are people who read those and enjoy those, but I don't have any recollection of them, and I was pretty much a Dungeons & Dragons and Dragonlance fan, so there you have it. Another ad for the Game Boy game of Gargoyle's Quest. Graphics so real, you forget it's only a game. And I question the veracity of that statement, because the graphics of these are in black and white, look really blocky, and probably aren't any fun at all. But... Those were pretty much most of the games that the Game Boy put out until it basically came out the Game Boy Color and the Game Boy Advanced. Next page, there's another ad for High Five Fleer basketball cards with Michael Jordan and David Robinson. And, oh boy, Dennis Rodman. And it looks like it's Dennis Rodman before he had the freakiest hairstyles ever known to man. A few pages after that, because this comic is jam-packed with story, we get an advertisement for the Nintendo version of Back to the Future 2 and 3. It says, this time, two exciting missions in one incredible game. Now it's your turn. We get a shot of Doc, Marty, and Clara looking at their watches as the hover car DeLorean flies to the top of the screen. Sadly, I don't remember this game. Uh, sadly, to my recollection, and to my experience as well, most movie tie-in games really weren't all that fun. So I'm probably going to put this one in the maybe-not-so-fun category. Next page, we get the mishmash ads of all the uh, things for basically drawing superheroes, getting a great teen physique, comic books for sale, the Wad Odo, and an interesting one for a Batman or Mario phone for either 39 or $49. Hmm. We also get our requisite Great Eastern Conventions comic book convention schedule, which includes comics in, or conventions in San Francisco, California, and Los Angeles. Not necessarily East Coast, but I think the name is pretty much set up to say who promotes the conventions, not where the conventions are being held. And underneath that, we get a Defy Gravity, an actual patented working model spaceship that hovers, spins, or drifts on any altitude pattern set by you. So basically, they were setting up the Balloon Boy thing about 15 years in advance. Thanks, comic books. And then the page after that, we get a nice ad of oh, someone from, some linebacker from the Oakland or maybe Los Angeles Raiders. I don't know. They've changed franchise cities for quite a while, but the Raiders saying, rip them open, break them in two, chew them to pieces, and not, of course, they're not, of course, talking about the opposing team, they're talking about Team NFL candy, including Team NFL TDs, which look like M&Ms, Team Bars, and Super Bars, which look like a horribly chocolatey Snickers bar with more 
chocolatey filling than nougaty filling. So basically, the NFL was telling you kids to go get all sugared up and play some team sports. Neato. And on the back page uh, inside cover, we get acclaim master of the game, super play, or let's see, out of this world super play action. And they're these little handheld games that include such uh, fine games as Bigfoot, Arch Rivals, Narc, Total Recall, and The Simpsons. Uh, if you can't see these, these are basically these little colorless LCD things that really aren't very fun to play and were really just to keep kids occupied while mom and dad drove in the car on long summer vacations. Back panel, we get the do 250 miles per hour in your underwear game, Rad Racer 2, Rad Racer with Turbo Boost. And to tell you, the last time I had did 250 miles per hour in my underwear was where I had a nice big bowl of Mexican chili. <sighs> Don't want to talk about that. But that does it for ads. There's some interesting letters in the letters column about, you know, people wanting more Guy Gardner, and uh, the uh, editors do say that, hold on, in the next couple issues, you'll be getting a wonderful story about Guy Gardner coming up. So look forward to that. We'll be covering that in the next couple of episodes. And I can't wait. But that's about it for the episode today, issue so episode, whatever, we'll call it issue so again. I love that term. I'd like to remind you all that if you're not picking these comics up in singles, uh, go ahead and look for the trade paperback, Green Lantern, The Road Back. You can pick that up at Amazon.com or your local comic retailer. Come back next Friday and we'll bring you some more Green Lantern-y, Guy Gardner-y goodness at Just One of the Guys. Take care, folks. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback to the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at just one of the guys, all one word, dot Libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys Podcast. You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me there because I don't have an account there, but if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you can obviously spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks again for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening music for today's episode is Not Dead Yet by the band Styx, off their album Edge of the Century. You can pick up the album via iTunes, 
Or better yet, why don't you go to the Tutor Freaks website, click the Amazon.com banner at the top of the website, and go to the Amazon webpage and download the song from there. With your purchase, you'll be doing your part to keep one of my favorite podcasts on the air, putting out great quality entertainment.